0: I'm going to try and respect everyone's time here, and we have a lot of training. This is going to be practical training that I hope you can take for the rest of your life and apply in any situation that you could ever be in, and it's going to be very good. I want you to take notes, so there are pens on your tables. There are papers on your tables. There are going to be some things that, uh, that we will have you work through, like that worksheet, so don't get ahead of us and get into that quite yet. But we're going to be talking through a, an approach to evangelism that we typically train people in as kind of like our, our first approach. So a lot of times, if I'm asked to do an evangelism training, this will be the first thing I do. I wanted to start with the Great Commission. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew 28. I want to read verses 18 through 20. As you read this, I want you to think about whose responsibility this is. Steve Shadrach asks, whose responsibility is this? And people say ours. And he goes, you're wrong. It's not ours. It's yours. (laughs) It's a great, great perspective changer. The Great Commission is a challenge from our Lord to each of us to make disciples. And I think we each have to individually own this and respond to him in obedience. Let's read 18 through 20. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Great Commission is from Jesus to you. There's no believer that is excluded from this incredible opportunity. This isn't a burden. This is a joyful part of the Christian life to partner with the Lord in what he's already doing around the globe and in the power of his Holy Spirit, whom he's given to every believer. Bill Bright said this, and the quote's up there on the screen. He said, success in witnessing is simply taking the initiative and the power of the Holy Spirit to share Christ and then leaving the results to God. The only way we ever fail in our witness is if we fail to witness. For each one of us, this is an incredible opportunity. It's also God's command. And we each have opportunities throughout every day to be a light. And Jesus told us not to cover that up, not to hide that light. What I'm going to share with you today will be an approach that you could refer to every time you have one of these opportunities. Because a lot of times we want to share. I haven't met many Christians that don't want to share. But there's a little bit of fear that comes up or maybe a lack of knowledge about what to do or what to say. Maybe some insecurity about what might happen or what might not happen or how they might react or things like that. And we let those things stop us from joining the Lord and what he's doing all around us. I hope that you'll refer back to this short acronym. It's the SHARE acronym and remind yourself of these, these five steps that you could walk through as you trust God and respond to him in that situation. So let me find, okay, I don't see that clicker. Could you go ahead and switch it? There it is. All right. So here's the acronym. The SHARE acronym starts with S, which is supercharge. We have to remember that we're not called to do this in our own strength. We're called to go out in his strength. Remember, it's what we've been learning. It's him through us. It's Christ through us. It's not just we ourselves trying to muster up the ability to do this on our own. H stands for have an expectant attitude. A lot of times we look with a bias of fear. We look with a bias of uh, maybe assuming that there will be failure or rejection. And we don't look at things realizing that the God of the universe is working in that person's heart. Right? Jesus promised us that in John 12, 32 and 33. So we can have an expectant attitude that he's working in that person's heart. And I'm the person that he's put in their path. To partner with him and what he's doing. Next is ask good questions. If you ever are stuck wondering what to do in evangelism, just keep asking questions. We had the privilege of speaking with uh, Dr. John Lennox, a famous apologist that teaches at Oxford. And he said, my life commitment is just keep asking questions until it gets around to Jesus. <laughs> I think it's a good life commitment. But asking questions can bring any conversation back to the gospel. R stands for resources. There are a tremendous number of resources that make evangelism simple. And if you can get a few on your phone or memorize a few of them, we'll teach you one today. You'll be equipped when that situation comes up. Finally, E is encourage people. We have these incredible opportunities come up. We should not drop them. In fact, I think we should all be getting numbers and getting information to follow up with people that we share with often. Most of the people that I lead to Christ, I don't lead to Christ the first time I share the gospel with them. Usually it's getting coffee, and many times it's weeks or even years down the road after I first shared with them. So we want to keep following up with people and encouraging them. And if they come to Christ, that includes discipleship, right? That's an important part of it. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the first letter in the SHARE acronym, SUPERCHARGE. Uh, We really want to start with a heart check. Right, Because we want to go out in the power of the Holy Spirit, relying on the Lord, with a heart of compassion. But I can't just fabricate this on my own. Right, I've tried and it doesn't work. In Matthew 12, 34, we read an important principle. That out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If I find that evangelism isn't happening, sometimes it's a heart issue, not a training issue. Sometimes there needs to be a reconnect with my Savior where he becomes my greatest treasure once again. And out of that treasure, he begins to saturate my conversation with himself, right? So as we think about evangelism, I want to start with the most fundamental of all principles. And that's where am I at with the Lord today? And in every situation, I need to start there, right? The opportunity comes up. I need to wrestle with God and surrender to him and say, I'm yours. It's so simple. Use me. I'm yours, okay? Once we get to that point, We can consciously rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Every believer has been given the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. Uh, We see that throughout Scripture, right? We see it in John 7, in Ephesians 1, in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 12, other places. But we each have a daily decision whether we'll surrender to him, allowing him to do his will through our lives. And it's quite simply a, a conscious decision. To say, I'm going to rely on you in this situation where I feel very weak. We're going to close with this at the end today because for those of us who are going out, I want to come back to that before we go out. Right? We also got to remind ourselves of what God's word says. I mean, there are a million different perspectives on evangelism out there. But we got to get back to what God's word says because that's most important. In Matthew 4, Jesus said that his followers would be fishers of men. He said that to the first disciples that he called. And that's a privilege that we get to be a part of today, too. In 9, 36 through 38, we've been reading and learning from that this weekend from Dr. Price. We see Christ's heart of compassion for the lost and his promise that the harvest is ripe. It is still ripe today. I talk to students all the time that are asking these questions, that are thinking about these things. And unfortunately, most of them aren't going to come here on Sunday morning. But they'll probably talk to you on a bus or in a Starbucks or on the campus. See, we need to go to them and not just wait for them to come to us. The harvest truly is ripe. We see in in chapter 13 this parable of the sower, and this is incredible, where we read about casting seed. I listened to somebody once speaking on this, and he said, What are your observations about the sower? And everybody had different observations. And he says, my observation is that he was an idiot. <laughs> and everybody went, what? It kind of shocked us. He goes, who who plants seed on a road? <laughs> who plants seed in thorn bushes? <laughs> this guy was crazy. And then he said, God has not called us to be soil specialists. He's called us to be seed chuckers. right? We're not called to just work on on a little piece of soil. We're called to to cast lots of seed in lots of places, not knowing where the fruit's going to spring up. I love the stories about the Mormon bishop or about the Iranian student that we heard last night and so many others. You might never expect those ones to come, right? But God was working on their heart. I'll just tell you a short story. I don't want to waste all my time on this, but uh, several years ago, this is about 14, 15 years ago, there was a young man that died, clinically died, of alcohol poisoning so he flatlined and he came back from it they jump-started him and when he came back from it he talked to me on the campus the next week and he said I need Jesus <laughs> I need Jesus and he put his trust in Christ okay his name was Harrison and he had a friend that had been giving him what he was drinking they'd gotten back to the campus and they said we can't bring this stuff in the dorm and his friend said chug it chug it chug it chug it and so he chugged it walked into the dorm and collapsed Okay. That friend was a self-proclaimed atheist. He began coming to my Bible study the whole year on campus. And he was in that Bible study the last day that I've ever seen him. I haven't seen him since. No connection to this man. The last day on campus, uh, I remember trying to schedule a time to get coffee with him just one last time before he moved away. And uh, I even remember thinking to myself, why am I even doing this? He's an atheist. He's not interested. He's belligerent. He's crazy. And I just kind of out of routine said, hey, could we get coffee and talk one last time? That morning, he put his trust in Christ. Last person I would have imagined would put his trust in Christ. You see, the stories you heard last night, these are real stories. And God is really doing them. Let's just cast seed. The Great Commission is our commission. In Acts 17, we're told that God has strategically placed you in the time and place that you're at so that people would find him. Right In Romans 1, we read that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. In 10, we read that people cannot come unless they have the gospel preached to them. In 1 Corinthians 3, we read that we have a part of sowing and watering, but God brings the fruit. The pressure is off, but we still get to be a part of this process. In 2 Corinthians 5, we're, we're his ambassadors. New creations compelled by love for Christ to reason with people Paul actually says because of because we know what the fear of God is we try to persuade men he was committed to reasoning with them Uh, in Colossians 4 5 we're reminded to make the most of every opportunity see when my mind starts telling me that evangelism doesn't work or they're not interested or it's just going to be awkward I need to remind myself of what God's word says because that's true and my mind lies to me all the time I need to go back to God's word, supercharge, let God's word reorient me with what he's doing around me. I also need to say no to Satan's lies. Let me tell you a few lies that we all wrestle with. I've been sharing my faith since I was my kid's ages over there, and I still have to wrestle with these lies. And they're ones that many of us have dealt with. Number one, uh, preach always, use words if necessary. This is a misquote of St. Francis of Assisi. He never really said that. And it's an absolute lie, right? Romans 10 tells us that people can't respond without somebody preaching to them. There are plenty of good Mormons and Buddhists and atheists. Once we were rafting down the Animus River in Drango with a bunch of students, and the guy that, our guide turns around and he goes, you guys Mormons? <laughs> we said, No, why do you ask? He goes, Because you guys are the nicest people I've ever met. <laughs> so, hey, the Mormons are doing really good at preaching always with their actions. Uh, we can't stop there, guys. There's a gospel that needs to be shared. We should live it. Don't undermine it with your life, but surely preach it with your mouth. You must have the gift of evangelism. Well, maybe you do, but you don't have to have it just like you don't have to have the gift of encouragement to encourage, right? Uh, your personality, style, and knowledge make the gospel relevant. That's nonsense. I've seen people be awkward and weird and say things that, that you, just, you can't believe they just said, and then the person comes to Christ. the Lord is working in someone's heart. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. I'm just a warm body that gets to share that with someone, right? So we got to get our eyes off ourselves and on the Lord in this. You must earn the right to be heard. No, Jesus earned the right to be heard 2,000 years ago. And he's given me the command to share this good news with people. And there are people that I've shared with that on the spot needed Jesus and were open about it. I didn't have to earn the right to tell them that. Now, I do want to clarify, we, we do need to earn the right to be heard in discipleship, right? As you're discipling someone, they need to see vulnerability and integrity and honesty. You need to lead by example. So all of that is important in discipleship. But we should never say, I can't share with someone until I have a track record with that person. Today, we're going to go share with people. Okay, evangelistic resources don't work was another one. Well, actually, they do work. We'll talk about some of that in a minute. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It doesn't matter how that gets to someone. All right, we should do it lovingly, but we need to get them the gospel. Only the destitute need Jesus. That's true, they do need Jesus, but it's not true that they're the only ones. The filthy rich need Jesus just as much as the destitute. Uh, All is lost if someone gets offended. No, Jesus told us people would be offended by the message. Don't offend them by your actions. Let the message work in someone's heart. Uh, Methods are what produce results. Sometimes we're always looking for the silver bullet. And I like how you've mentioned that too, Dr. Price. Uh, Guys, the gospel is the silver bullet. (laughs) Let's rely on the Lord and share his... I'm not saying don't strategize. Let's do that. Let's be strategic. Let's try to reach people. But let's bank on the gospel changing lives, not our methods. Okay. Uh, Older people aren't interested Total nonsense. My grandmother trusted Christ the last day she was alive. Okay? And we've seen plenty of older people come to Christ in evangelism. Actually, one a couple years ago with one of our staff guys in on Main Street in Durango. And he told them he'd been praying for two months that someone would share with him how to know God. Uh, I'm so glad that he didn't believe the lie that older people aren't interested. Okay, finally, most people aren't interested. We live in a culture that's very secular, and it's easy to start thinking uh, they're not interested. Uh, They are. Most of them are dealing with uh, STDs. They're prevalent in our society. They're dealing with broken relationships. They're dealing with uh, messed up finances. They're dealing with all sorts of trouble, living in a chaotic world full of some of the worst news that's broadcast daily. And a lot of people are living with incredible, incredible um, fear and insecurity and, and they are looking for answers, let's not believe the lie that they're satisfied and that that smile is actually what's happening on the inside, okay? Let's trust that God's working on their heart and that we get to be the person to share the gospel with them. All right, so have an expectant attitude. Mr. Medhurst was one of Spurgeon's uh, uh, guys that he was working with, and he came to Spurgeon once and he said, I, I'm not seeing anybody come to Christ, and I've been sharing my faith very often. And Spurgeon said, Well, you don't expect people to come to Christ every time you share, do you? And he said, Of course not. And Spurgeon said, Well, there's your problem. (laughs) Isn't that great? I love that story. It's so true, though. Sometimes we have this ridiculous perspective that nobody's interested and nothing's going to happen. I promise you, you might not see the fruit, but God's word won't return void, God will work in hearts. He will take the seed that you plant or the seed that you water, and he will produce fruit. And you can bank on that. That's a promise from him. When you share your faith, it is not in vain. Drew, could we just pull up that picture real quickly? I showed this last Sunday. This is uh, an example of what's happening globally through cruise evangelistic sites right now and in, in real time. Today, about 24,000 people have made a decision to trust Christ. About 35,000 are being discipled. We have a God that is not sleeping. He is working throughout the globe. And this is our time and our place to partner with him and what he's doing. It's not an accident that we're in Albuquerque, right? It's not, he didn't put us here just to, to be comfortable. He put us here to be a light in this city that desperately needs it. All right. Okay, let me tell you a couple quick stories and we'll keep moving along. Uh, Tom Ray is a pastor down in Texas, in San Marcos, Texas, and he's a guy that my dad first met in 1973 outside of the Two Bitter Bar in San Marcos. My dad was witnessing, and Tom said, I don't want to hear it. And later that night, towards the end, after a night of drinking, the band that was closing out that night as their final song played, I Wish We'd All Been Ready, about the rapture. (laughs) This guy... For whatever reason, I don't know why they played that, but he instantly knew God's trying to get a hold of him. He put his trust in Christ. He's been a pastor for more than three decades since then, okay? Uh, These things really happen when we will just simply take the initiative and step out in faith and trust the Holy Spirit to do his job. All right, three mics. This has happened to me three times, and all three of these guys were mics. It's hilarious. Uh, But I've had a couple times where somebody comes to me and says, thank you for leading me to Christ. And I say, I don't even remember you. And I don't remember this story some of these times. Uh, One of them was right here at UNM a couple years ago. And he said that he turned me down. And right after that, somebody else approached him from a different ministry to share with him the same day. He instantly knew that God was trying to get a hold of him. He, that day, put his trust in Christ. And now he says he wants to become a pastor. He's still a student at UNM. He's plugged in with a church that ended up leading him to Christ that day. But he, he found me one day on the campus and said, thank you for sharing with me, even though I turned you down. Uh, there have been a couple other mics too. Our student advisor on the campus said, never stop what you're doing. I was one of those people that always turned people down and said, I don't want to hear it. But it got to me and I put my trust in Christ. We don't always hear these stories, but I promise you they're there. If you're taking the initiative to simply share in a loving way the good news of salvation, God's going to work and you can trust that. And that gives us an expectant attitude that I think is wind in our sails when we're out witnessing. Whether I see a response today or not, I know God is going to be working. Okay, ask good questions. I'm going to tell you a few ways to strategize how you're sharing your faith here. This is going to be very helpful. We're going to spend a little time here. And I want to save enough time to get into our testimony worksheet as well. So I'm going to try and blaze through this. If you have more questions on this, feel free to come get me anytime. I'd love to walk you through it and even take you out and practice it together. So Keith Davies is a, a crew uh, teacher and trainer, and he shares the three modes of evangelism. One is the natural witness. This is where you simply reach out to somebody in the natural course of life. Okay? And this could be a neighbor, this could be a coworker, you talk, Christ comes up, this and that, it's natural. It's, it's just a part of your natural. Uh, way of life. Maybe it's a relative, something like that. We also have the body witness. This is where we invite someone to the body, and they can see the body of Christ, and it can be very dramatic. So maybe we invite them to church, maybe some stories like we've heard this weekend, maybe we invite them to a Christian concert, but somewhere where they're going to see the body of Christ. And when they see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, that's attractive, and they don't see it out there, and they know something's different. We've had multiple people come to our retreats in Colorado and say, I had more fun this weekend than I ever have in my life, and I wasn't even drunk. (laughs) They can't believe how fun it is hanging out with all these believers because nobody's angry at them. Nobody's cussing at them. Nobody's trying to one-up them. They see Jesus in the body, and it is attractive to them. Okay? Uh, next is the ministry mode. This is where we intentionally go out to share our faith with people that we've never met before. This is probably the scariest of the three, but I'll tell you what, a lot of Christians don't want to do it for that reason. And they say, no, we need to make friends first. We need to become friends first. Let me tell you something read the New Testament. Tell me, tell me out of these three what you see in the New Testament. It's almost exclusively ministry, it's not saying the other two are wrong. But we are called to get out of our comfort zones. You guys, we all deal with fear. Uh, but fear does not need to control us. We can step out and say, I'm going to go talk to people about Jesus today. I have, I've, I've met friends and seen students that actually think that I'm going to do this for fun. Like, I'm going to go, I'm going to schedule a time. It's almost like my entertainment for the afternoon is going out witnessing because God works, and it's exciting to be a part of what he's doing. So I just want you to know all three of those modes are valid. And it's not like we can just say, uh, I'm going to do one and not the others. We're God's. We're his. We're his ambassadors. Uh, we, we need to be uh, stepping into whatever he brings up around us. Okay, Keith Davies also talks about four barriers. And this is at the conversation level. So it would work in any of these three. Number one is meeting someone and starting a conversation. This is a barrier, he calls it, because it's a difficult step that we have to take. All right, I don't know that guy over there. What would I do to start a conversation? Well, there are good ways to start a conversation. I'm going to share one of them with you today, and we'll practice it together. Uh, but there are many. But the main point is all you have to think about right now is just meeting that person and starting a conversation. Don't even worry yet about how am I going to share the gospel with this person. <laughs> just go up and say Hi right? Smile at the person. Ask them a question. Ask them what their favorite thing on the menu is. Just get a conversation going. Once you're in that conversation, you can think about transitioning to a spiritual topic, right? You could ask Emre's famous question about hope. And in this chaotic world, where do you find hope? You know, as the conversation progresses, you'll find it easy to ask questions that can transition to spiritual topics. Once you're in a spiritual conversation... It's very easy to simply ask someone a question like, well, what's been your experience with Christianity? I ask that question all the time. You should memorize it because it instantly opens the conversation up to the gospel. Well, tell me, what's been your experience with Christianity? And they tell you, and you listen, and you, you interact with them on that level. And then as you share, you have an opportunity to bring up what Christ has done in your life or maybe to bring up the gospel. And once you've shared the gospel, please don't forget to bring them to a point of decision. And this can be an awkward point, but it's something that we shouldn't glaze over. Uh, Ask them, do you believe that what I just shared with you is true? Can you think of any reason why you wouldn't want to put your trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord today? I did this recently with a a young man. And he said, I I can't say I'm quite there yet. Uh, I can't say I'm quite there yet. But um, I'm getting there. That's cool. But I at least brought him to a point of decision. Does that make sense? I didn't walk away thinking, man, I should have asked that question. I should have invited him to to respond to Christ. Okay, that's a good way to look at it. But mainly, we keep asking questions. It's it's not too scary to ask questions. So resources, I'm going to share some resources with you. And then we're going to spend a few minutes unpacking one of those resources. Uh, The Solarium app and cards is a Crew resource, it's just a bunch of pictures. And you can walk up to someone and say, hey, have you ever seen the solarium? And most people say, no, what is it? It's a picture survey. A picture, survey. do you like pictures? I love pictures. All right, well, can you wanna answer three questions with pictures? I would love to. I've, literally, I've done this for more than a decade. I don't think one person has ever said, that doesn't sound fun. I do this on college campuses. I've done it in other countries. And it's always a fun, engaging way to talk with people. The first question you ask is, which picture represents your life? Second, which picture represents your view of God? The third, which picture represents your spiritual journey? And then you talk to them about it. And then you share your story with them. It's an incredible tool. Anyway, the app is free in uh, both uh, Google and, um, and iTunes app stores. And you can get the cards from Crew if you're interested. Uh, they also have a perspectives card uh, deck and apps that's very similar You just walk up to somebody, hey, can I get your perspective on something? Sure, it's an app. And it's asking your perspective on some of life's biggest questions. That sounds fun. And it goes through, what is the source of truth? Uh, How do we know what's right and wrong? Who is Jesus? Things like that. And they share their perspective with you. And it oftentimes opens up into a great evangelistic conversation. Another app that I uh, like people to, to get is the God Tools app. For those that come with me today, we'll download it on our phones. But this just simply has kind of the latest version of the four spiritual laws where if someone is ready to hear the gospel, you'd be ready to share it with them. And I want to make a note here. Many of us feel comfortable sharing the gospel without a tool like that, right? Uh, But especially in discipleship, it's great to use tools like this because maybe if you have another Christian with you, they'll feel less intimidated if they have a tool too. Does that make sense? So I almost exclusively use tools like this just so that whatever Christian guy I'm discipling that's with me, he feels like, man, I saw Nate go through that app. I could do it too. Does that make sense? It's, he doesn't, the, the fear barrier is lower. It's already high enough asking him to share his faith. So let's knock it down a little bit by giving him a resource that he could use. Okay, we're going to teach you the Oasis World Ministries one-minute witness tool right now. Okay, I'm trying to keep ahead of the curve here. We're a little bit behind schedule, but we'll try and do this a little bit quickly. You guys all have this sheet on your table. This is a great tool. I really like it. For the past two years, uh, I've been training people in the U.S. and abroad on this. Oasis is training people in almost 50 countries on this. And they've had uh, literally tens of millions of people make decisions for Christ with this simple little testimony tool. It's it's a powerful tool, and I don't think you'll ever forget it. So when we talk about resources, this is one that you can put in your tool belt, and it'll be there forever, okay? So the first part is, before we get to writing things out, you simply ask a question. Remember we talked about asking questions? You simply walk up to someone you don't know and say, hey, can I ask you a question? We could all do that, right, with someone we don't know. Maybe this could be on a bus or in line at a restaurant. Or maybe God's putting on your heart that you should share with someone, and Walmart and you're thinking, oh, that'd be so awkward, how would I even start? Well, you could just say, hey, could I ask you a question? We could all do that, right? That's not very terrifying. So could I ask you a question? And if they say yes, you simply say, what's the greatest thing that's ever happened to you? It totally catches people by surprise. Most people are not expecting that. And they go, whoa, whoa, the greatest thing? Oh my gosh, I don't know, let me think about it. They're instantly drawn into their own memory bank, thinking through questions right? And, and finally, they'll come out and tell you, oh, I was getting married. The greatest day of my life. My wedding was amazing. It was fantastic. Sympathize with them. Empathize with them. Get to know them. Oh, yeah. My wife is amazing, too. When did you get married? Oh, this is when I got married. Talk to them. Look them in the eyes. Show them that you actually care for them. Ask them questions that show that you're engaged with their story. And as you listen to them for a few minutes, and as that winds down, simply ask one more question. Can I tell you the greatest thing that's ever happened to me? And then make this commitment. Say it's only gonna take one to two minutes. Uh, I think I've had one or two people ever say no, okay? And then you share your one minute testimony. That's what we're gonna work on now. Very simple tool. Let me tell you how this worked once. Uh, We were uh, at an Applebee's restaurant right down the road here. And we asked the waitress this. And she said, oh, I'll I'll come back and tell you in a minute. And I thought, ooh, that went a little weird. (laughs) She came back and said, the greatest thing that ever happened to me was also the worst thing that ever happened to me. And it was my son. He was the greatest thing that ever happened to me, and losing him was the worst thing that ever happened to me. And she's like tearing up, crying at this point. Uh, Skylar was with me when this happened. And um, we put our arms around her. We, you know, encouraged her. We talked to her. And uh, it was a couple weeks later as we, we saw her again. We came back to that question in the gospel, and we got to share with her that day. But that, that lady ended up putting her trust in Christ. Uh, I know that there are people in the church that have tried to reach out to her to disciple her. Sometimes discipleship takes time to get rolling. That's very typical. But the point being, she needed a savior, and she just needed someone to initiate and to ask her. And man, the floodgates opened after that. Okay, so if they say yes, and you're ready to share your story of what Christ's done in your life, In one or two minutes, here's how you could do it. You could write with me. Begin by writing three words that describe you apart from Christ. These could be attributes from before you trusted Christ or aspects of your sinful nature that you've seen God changing as you've walked with him. That's because some people say, well, I grew up in the church. I don't remember who I was before Christ. That's fine. You probably know all too well your sinful nature apart from Christ. So who is that, that sinful person that Christ has been redeeming and transforming over the course of your life. Mine are, are fear, sadness, and doubt. Those are my three words. Right now, take a few minutes to think of your three words. Write some down. And you know, as you practice this, you might end up tweaking it over time. I used to say mine were fear, depression, and doubt. But I realize that a lot of people struggle with clinical depression and that I was maybe being condescending towards them and how I communicated that. So I changed the word to sadness. Many people can relate to sadness, right? So as you write your three words down, whatever you write today will be a start. But over time and as you use it, I encourage you to refine it. And to let God refine those, those words and get them just the way they need to be. I want to ask for a, a, couple, a couple of you to share what some of the words are that describe who you were before Christ. I have any volunteers okay rebellious all right yeah a lot of people have been there right okay anybody else what's that prideful right what else immoral okay arrogant insecure that's a big one I, With all the social media stuff out there, everybody's insecure (laughs) because you always see everybody's best life on social media. So you're you're speaking right to somebody's heart when you say things like insecure. Absolutely. Okay, what else? Selfish. Selfish. You know, a lot of times people are going to hear this and they're like, wait, did you really just say that you were proud and selfish and insecure? (laughs) Most of their friends don't talk like that at the workplace. Anybody else? Anger. No purpose. Huge. I talked to a young man a couple days ago that just, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Performance. Performance. Yeah. I would take a word like that and maybe clarify it. Like, I felt like um, I had to perform to be loved or something like that. Yeah, I'd let him know. But that's huge because that's where they're all at. All right. Well, write your three words down. If you come with us today, we're actually going to share these with someone. And I just promise you, you'll feel like you just won the Super Bowl. <laughs> Sometimes we take people out witnessing, and they're like shaking before we go out. We had one girl that would vomit every week before we went out. <laughs> she, she would go in the woman's restroom, vomit, and then go. And she, was, she would tell us about it. <laughs> but she got over it. And it's an adventure once we go out and trust God and, and do it. Next, describe how you came to believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord. Be concise but specific and include the main elements of the gospel here. God's love, humanity's sin, Jesus' payment, and your decision to receive his gift of salvation by believing in him as Savior and Lord. Be clear about when you did this, how you did this, but be very concise. You don't want to read a book to them, okay? I'm going to go on to the next three just for time's sake. For those of you coming with me, we'll kind of role play this a little bit before we go out, and uh, you'll get a, a little bit of familiarity with how to share it, and it doesn't have to be perfect today. And you know what? If you're scared to death and you just don't want to do it, that's okay. Come with me and just watch, and you can see how this whole thing works, okay? Okay, now tell people three words that describe the amazing work Christ has done and is continuing to do in your life. It really helps if these are antonyms of the previous three. So my first three were fear, sadness, and doubt. So I always say boldness, right, and, uh, and um, <laughs> joy and confidence, God has really done those, and I'm not lying to people. I think I'm one of the most joyful people I know. I think that he's really made me fearless. I don't have fearlessness, but because of him, I'm willing to take risks, okay? Um, and he, he's done this in me. I know who I am in my own right apart from him. So I've seen that he's done these things. I can't claim them, but I can tell people what he's done, right? So tell me some of the good things he's done in your life. What are, what are a few of the things... Who are you because of him? Any takers? Loving. Yeah, John is is very. I I, I got to room with this guy for a couple of weeks. He's loving, hopeful. Over here. What? Huh? Okay. Oh, that was mine. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, hopeful. Anybody else? Saved. saved. I would, again, like this other word, I would clarify that. So an unbeliever might be, I mean, we're in an unchurched day and age where somebody might be like, what do you mean saved? They might not understand. But you, maybe God has given me the promise of eternal life. He's ch- I mean, that's amazing. Forgiven, exactly. You guys, um, you can summarize this all with a sentence. Don't repeat your three and your three and the, don't repeat everything. But summarize it and simply just tell people, man, if it wasn't because of Jesus, I would be very lost. But because of him, I'm experiencing life the way it was meant to be experienced. And a lot of people, when they hear something like that, they're like, I need that. I need that. I'm empty. And I need what you're talking about. And that's where you just ask this final question. Would you be interested in knowing how Jesus could do something like that in your life? And a lot of people might just say yes. This could be a neighbor it could be a coworker, or it could be someone that you've never met before in line at the grocery store or something like that. Let me tell you mine to give you an example of how this looks. Okay? So I walk up to somebody. Hey, uh, can I ask you a question? Yeah. What's the greatest thing that's ever happened to you? Oh, going to Texas A&M on Aggie for life. <laughs> I'm pretending like I'm John. <laughs> okay. Um, well, that's great. <laughs> I went to Fort Lewis College, and I'm not an Aggie for life. <laughs> Establish a little bit of rapport. And then I say, well, hey, John, could I tell you the greatest thing that's ever happened in my life? It'll only take about a minute or two. Usually, John's going to say yes. It's very rare that he says no. And I just say, well, John, there was a time in my life when uh, I was full of fear and sadness and doubt. And even though I was very young, those things really epitomized who I was and how I felt every day. Uh, And even though I'd been in a church and my family was a Christian family, and I'd heard many times these things, I remember a day when they became clear to me in a very real way. I realized that God loved me and that he had made me to be in relationship with him, but that because of my sin, I wasn't. I also realized that because he loved me, he came to this earth and lived a perfect life, and he even died on the cross to pay for my sins. And then he rose again to give me eternal life. That day, as sincerely as a young child could, I made a decision to follow him and to believe in him as Savior and Lord. And he changed me. That fear, he really transformed into true boldness. Um, that, That doubt, he transformed into confidence. I'm as sure of him today as the air I breathe. And that sadness, he replaced with true joy. You know, if it hadn't been for Jesus, my life would be extremely empty. But because of him, it's very, very full. Would you be interested in knowing how Jesus could do something like that in your life? Johns, You guys, if if John gets saved, this is going to go down as a great missions conference. (laughs) All right. So that's the one-minute witness. We'll coach you on a little bit before we go out, and um, we'll have everybody role-play it. It's a great tool. Now you know how to meet someone, that first barrier, how to get into conversation. It all happens in this, and how to go on from there. So I'm just going to wrap it up here. We need to encourage people. Do evangelistic follow-up with people. Get their name. Get a contact card. We're going to give you some today. Uh, Ask them out to coffee next week where you could talk more about their questions. Uh, Maybe use some other tools with them. You know, we have this best facts uh, apologetics tool. A lot of people think, "I I can't answer their questions. Well, as a ministry, we've put a little resource together to help you answer some of their questions. And if they become a Christian, by all means, please start discipling them. They might not get plugged into church tomorrow because that's a, it's weird for them. I'm, I'm just being honest with you. For us, it's normal to come to church. If you've never been to church, going to church is a weird thing. I mean, just think of it in this terms. What if I asked you to come to an LGBTQ fundraiser? You'd be like, uh, <laughs> excuse me? See, sometimes to us it's natural to go to church, but a lot of this next generation, they're not familiar with it. So you know what we need to do? We need to buy them coffee, get in the Bible together with them, invite them to church, wait for them to, to kind of be ready for that. My wife and I have even gone on a date to a restaurant where a girl was a waitress that, had got, that her boyfriend had led to Christ who grew up in an atheist home where she wasn't even allowed to say the word God. And even though she'd trusted Christ, she read from Genesis to Hebrews over spring break and came to Christ. She she was smoking pot and felt like the Bible was calling to her off the, off the bookshelf. And <laughs> she picked it up and read from Genesis to Hebrews. She was house-sitting for her boyfriend who was on a cruise. She'd never had a Bible in her house like that. And her boyfriend tells me, he was a guy I was discipling, and, um, but he says, she'll never meet with you. She'll never come to a church. Her, her whole life she's been told, that's crazy. You don't do that. So my wife and I we found out when she was going to be on the shift from him. <laughs> did this totally, like, covertly. And we did a date there, and we asked if we could sit in her area. We sat in her area. We got to meet her. I'm just telling you guys, we, inc- we follow up with people where they're at. Eventually, let's plug them into a church. They need that for their growth. But let's love them enough, like Dr. Price has been sharing, to help them take those baby steps, okay? Uh, we also have a-, a resource that we just released about two weeks ago as a team. It's a basic discipleship resource that you could work through with someone. Uh, Kyle Kraft, one of our members here, recently led a guy to Christ, and I think they've done four appointments in this together so far. Uh, This is just so basic. Like, uh, how do you read the Bible? How do you pray? And for us, that's natural, but for a new Christian, maybe they don't understand those things. We have a whole appointment in here. What is fellowship in, in a What is it like to get plugged into a church? What is baptism? Have you ever been baptized? Would you like to take that step? Uh, It's just really good for them. So we want to encourage them. All right, guys, wrapping up, share your faith, supercharge, have an expectant attitude, ask good questions, use good resources, and encourage people. Remember that the harvest is still ripe. And remember that God has you right where he wants you and he desires to use you. You can rely on him because he will use you. Uh, Let's put this into practice. James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving ourselves. If we learn all the best things in the world about evangelism but don't share our faith, guess what happens? Our own tricky minds start to convince us that none of it really works, right? So we need to put it into practice. Uh, I've been enjoying what Dr. Price has shared, so I won't be offended if you don't come with me to share your faith this afternoon. I encourage you, sometime, practice this. And if you want somebody to go out with you, I will gladly do it. Let's put it into practice, and when we go, let's go in his power. We have another acronym. You can take a picture of this because I'm done with my time, but present yourself to God. God, I'm yours. I'm surrendering to you. Own up to your sin. God, um, forgive me for not sharing my faith or not wanting to. Uh, I'm going to call it what it is. It's sin, and I'm so thankful that you're so forgiving. I want to honor you, God. I want you to speak through me and to use me. And right now, I'm going to ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit and to empower me for evangelism like you promised in Acts 1-8 and Ephesians five eighteen. And then I'm going to rely on him. I'm going to take a step of faith and trust that he's going to come through, and he will, I promise.